welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. To listen to know the difference. I will, now mine be done. Okay. Um, how should we do this here? Start off by, hi, my name is Chaim, I'm a sexaholic. Hi. Liz, you're leaving soon? You're leaving soon? Okay, so let's start off with a celebration. Laser is celebrating two years of sexual sobriety. To say continuous sexual sobriety, I just want to ask Laser to share with us um, how he did it. Um, Laser, you're an inspiration to, to everyone. Here for, you're here for quite some time, and two years is no um, is no small feat. Two years means like one day at a time for two years, one phone call at a time, one surrender at a time. You know, one obstacle, one one time. After two years, if he would have said at any point, you know something, I am done, which I have had that in my experience so many times, that feeling of I'm just done and I'm done to the point of no return. And um, It's a miracle that you haven't, which basically means that you've found God in your life, which is very special and you, you really are an inspiration. And if you could take a minute to share with us how you did it, we would appreciate it. Okay, my name is Chaim and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. Today we are up to step nine, which is very special, very, very special. And I appreciate everybody that's been on this journey so far with me and that keeps coming back because this workshop has done for me what I cannot do for myself that I could tell you. And the, one of the beauties about this program is this program keeps giving. This program doesn't stop. It's like, you know, laser, you celebrated two years and it's like, just think about like double that. Think about double the double that. Think about the double, the double, the double that. And think about it. That's endless. The, the connection, the spirituality, and the love. And um, step nine is a very, very special step. The reason I say step nine is a very special step is because if you're like me, you are planning, like me, to go to your grave knowing that there's a lot of people that you really need to owe amends to. And there's a lot of people that you have done harm to. Mainly, if you're married, your wife, your children. If you're like me, then you really, really don't like yourself. And if you really don't like yourself, you know you're sticking around there for another 20, 30, 40, 50 years. It, it, it kind of sucks. So this step is a special step. This step gets you to stick around it for the next 30, 40, 50, whatever amount of years and actually love yourself. Like, what a gift. What a gift. And not only does this step get you to love yourself, but this step gets you to love the people that you were meant to love your whole life. Now, that is special. Like, imagine, you know, the reason you married your wife, if you don't know this, by the way, is because you loved her. And... The reason you married your wife, yes, it's also because you wanted sex, obviously. And maybe it's because you were pushed into it a little bit, and maybe, obviously, you're boring, um, you know. But the reason you married your wife is at the end of the day, there was a connection, there was some sort of love there. What happened with that? 
like imagine coming into your house and actually like loving your children. Not you love your children because you're trying to get something out of your children, but you love your children because you're trying to give something to your children. Like how special would that be? And that's step nine. You know, it says in the problem, we took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves. We took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves. I don't know anybody that takes from others to fill up what is lacking in ourselves as much as a sexaholic. Even an alcoholic, a drug addict, they're not necessarily taking from others, they're taking a drug, an outside um, poison. We're actually trying to take from somebody else because we're feeling uncomfortable. That same girl that I see in the bagel store or in the Wawa or wherever I walk into, I could see her on Monday this week and Monday last week. And the power she has over me Monday this week is much stronger than the power she has over me Monday last week. This step explains why. Why do I need to take from her and steer at her breasts different than I did last week? Why last week I could say good morning to her and the good morning was authentic and real and this week the good morning had a little good morning in it. And only a sexaholic knows what that good morning is. It's the same good morning. But wow, does it have a different good morning flavor to that good morning? Why? Why am I lacking something? Why do I need to take from that person? Why one week my wife says no to sex and I want to divorce her and end this relationship and feel like I married the wrong woman and in a different week she says no and it's perfectly fine? These are questions that really have answers. Why this week I'm willing to get down on the floor and play Legos with my kids or crawl all over the floor with them and just roll my heads off and the other week when my kid asks me, Ta, can we play on the floor? And I'm pissed at him. <coughs> Why does everybody understand what I'm talking about here? <laughs> Why is it some nights I could go to sleep and really love my wife to the point of like feeling like wholesome and real and comfortable and feel so much gratitude for the wife, my wife, to the wife that God gave me and feel such peace and content. And some nights I just crunch my pillow and my cover and it's like, how the hell did I end up here? I could have done so much better. I'm telling you, I could have, trust me. My brain told me I could have done better a thousand times. So I know I could have done better. I told myself I could have done better. I proved it to myself I could have done better. Couldn't I have done better? Of course you could do better. When I ask myself that, when I'm going to sleep at night, and I need my wife to fill the void, and she's not filling the void, and I say to myself, Chaim, can you have done better? You know what the answer comes back? Yes, you could have done better. You're a loser. Why some nights does those feelings come up and some nights no? Why could I go away like I shared last week to Cancun with my wife and have such a peaceful and beautiful time and we're connected and we're intimate and we're having a great time and we're sharing feelings and emotions and we're laughing and we're actually like, like, if you didn't know our whole life story, you would actually say, hey, this couple really is in love. And if you knew my whole life story, you would still say it because today we are. And yet, and yet, when I'm sitting in the restaurant, that girl walks in, that one, not that other girl, that one. She walks in and I sit there and I squirm and I feel like a loser and I feel like I married the wrong girl. And the list goes on and on. And then we want to know why in this fellowship do I stay sober for six months, a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, and all of a sudden the day comes when the guy walks into the fellowship and his head is down, he's like, I just relapsed. Why? What, like, what happened? Wasn't this guy a sober guy working the program? 
Well, think about it. If these are all the thoughts that's going on in his head daily, how is he supposed to stay sober? If he's not even aware of these thoughts to share it with his sponsor, to work through them, how is he supposed to stay sober? Yes, amazing work that he has done by working through the steps. Amazing work he's done by, by, by being willing to come to meetings and sharing on it, but he's not even aware. <coughs> Step nine clearly says, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. To make direct amends is what takes the load of guilt and shame off of our shoulders. <coughs> Where I can look the world in the eyes and I can stand free. I don't have to have shame anymore. I can actually love myself. I can be proud of Chaim. Chaim doesn't harm people anymore. And when he does, he walks over to the person, admits his fault, not says F you through, I'm sorry. Because that's what I did my whole life. I said F you, which basically goes like this. I'm really sorry. I really am. Really am. That's in English saying, screw off, I hate you. But really, before going to the person who I apologize to and I say I'm sorry, stop and say, what went on? Like two days ago when I had a blow up with my daughter in the morning, I simply asked her for like, what time does the bus come? And she wasn't responding. And at one point I just like, what time is the bus coming? I lost it. And she walked away crying in it. I knew I'm going to go over to apologize. Now that she rattled me up, of course she rattled me up. <coughs> but before going over to her, I humbled myself. I walked over to my wife and I said, Miriam, I lost it. I power again. What did, what is my part? What did I do wrong? What should I have done different? And we're able to talk about it. And we're able to realize that what I did wrong is my, my Chaim. Chaim was, felt threatened. Chaim felt ignored. When I feel ignored and not understood, I feel threatened and I explode. And that's my issue. And Chaim needs to work on, it's okay if he doesn't feel understood. And it's okay if his kids don't respond to him perfectly. And I'm continuing to do work on it so I don't harm anymore. So when I do, I could apologize. But let me ask you something. If I didn't process this, what I did with my daughter, and then I walked outside of the house, and there's that girl, and there's a feeling inside of me of, Chaim, you're a loser. Chaim, you just hurt your daughter. And I know I did, so like, who am I fooling? And now that girl walked in. Am I not looking at that girl? Am I not checking her out? You know that feeling of when you leave your house and you're in a fight with your wife? And you just know you're going to lust. It's almost like on purpose. What's that little feeling of on purpose I'm going to lust? What's that feeling of I'm just done? What's that feeling of like, you know something? You didn't give me sex, or you don't understand me, or when I'm talking, you just walk away, or you're hanging out with your friends, and you don't put me first? You think I need this relationship? I'm here because of you in this relationship. Remember, I wasn't supposed to marry you. This whole thing is a mess up. I'm only staying because of you and the kids. Because how great I am. You know how many women want me? That's why I sat in strip clubs and paid them $20 for them to say I love you. Because that's what normal, healthy people that can pick up regular girls do. If I give Shia $20, he'll say I love you. 40 <laughs> You do it for 10 So me walking out of my house and feeling like my wife doesn't love me, of course, what am I going to do? Obviously, I need a girl. We cry with outstretched arms, lusting after the next fix. Please connect with me and make me whole. Please connect with me and make me whole. Don't we all have that feeling every once in a while? It's almost like, it goes like this. It's almost like, please make me whole. It's like a feeling of a cry inside. If you're a sexaholic, you know what I mean. If you're not a sexaholic, you're just like, that girl's hot. She has a nice ass. The difference between a sexaholic is three days later, he's thinking she has a nice ass. Three days later, I'll go right back to Walmart thinking that that same girl is still standing in that same aisle next to the coat. 
That's the difference. You know why? Because we cry with outstretched arms. Please, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm not supposed to be in this marriage. God screwed me over. I went through so much pain as a child. Please fix my problem. <coughs> and when step nine says is the total opposite. <clears throat> and the solution, after we clean our side and we're not lusting, we're not taking actions anymore, and we found a higher power, and we're not living our life based on fear and resentment and anger and confusion and shame and belittling. <clears throat> after we go through all that and we ask God to take away our character defects, and we do what we spoke about so many times before walking into our home, we humble ourselves in front of our Creator and we say, God, Please allow me to be of service for my wife and children. I don't even deserve to be married. After we do that, if we live a life of amends, if we live a life of amends, this is how he explains it. Forgiving all who have injured us. It's very interesting. Step nine says I forgive everybody. I thought this whole program is about everybody, forgi- everybody forgiving me. Why am I forgiving everybody? Everybody should forgive me, meaning everybody hurt me my whole life. Everybody should come crawling to me and ask me for forgiveness. That's not how a program works. We ask people forgiveness. We don't sit there and give our wives the silent treatment and wait for them to come and ask forgiveness. That's not how a program works. I'm going to show you. No, we go out there and we ask for forgiveness. As forgiving all who had injured us, and without injuring others, we try to right our own wrongs. Listen what happens. At each amends, more of the dreadful load of guilt drops from our shoulders. That dreadful load of guilt just drops from our shoulders. Until we can look, lift our heads, look the world in the eye, and stand free. We could for once and for all lift our heads look the world in the eye, and stand free. If I could be rigorously honest, I don't have to anymore, it's a little bit corny, but it's the truth. It's my story, and it's most of our stories in the 21st century over here. We don't anymore have to put our heads in our cell phones when we come home, or in the meetings, because we don't have to be um, reeling with guilt so when that guy's sharing and I'm uncomfortable and I could just go like this and look at absolutely nothing because I'm just so uncomfortable because I have so much guilt and shame and I feel so resentful and I just scream at my wife and I just took actions of loss. So and this guy's sharing a miracle who this guy's anyway not sober and this guy I hate and this guy anyway's full of BS and he's two yeshivas and he's not yeshivish enough and this guy was supposed to be yeshivish. This guy's a faker. This guy's a loser. I'm not connected with anybody. I'm the coolest guy in the program. I'm less the coolest guy in the program. I wish I was the coolest guy. I'm going to make a crack joke. And I, the only way to numb myself out and feel comfortable in a place that I'm uncomfortable in is being on my phone. It's like sitting in front of the therapist. Imagine like the therapist trying to talk to me and I'm doing work and I'm sitting on my phone like this. Well, yeah, I got you. I'm listening. It's not like I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to you. I'm just having important things to just go like this all the time on my phone with. I can lift my head and look the world in the eye and stand free. The more sober people in program are not on their phone in meetings. Let's be rigorously honest. When I'm on the phone in the meeting, let's be rigorously honest, because I'm very uncomfortable at the meeting. <coughs> you ever see like those old-timer beacons that you're like, oh my God, the guy's like living with God. You know, Bob G, they used to be here. Or you look at them, they sit here like this. They just don't move, and they're just so comfortable. They could sit like this for like, like literally 60 minutes, and just by them sitting like this makes me jittery. It's like, could you move a little bit? Like, hello? You know what they got to? They got to a place. It's called they can look the world in the eye and stand free. There's no problems. They're free. They're not sitting with shame. They're not going like this. They're not looking. They're not needing to. They're not bullying around. They're not coming in and out three times in the meeting. There's a comfort. There's a sense of, of just belonging, of wholesome. They can look the world in the eye. They don't have to look at the kids and say, oh, 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 oh one second, one second. You know how many times I told my kids, just one second, man, it's important. If you were there looking at my phone, you would be like, that's important. (laughs) That? I didn't even know what I'm looking for. 
I wasn't looking at anything. I was just going back and forth between the bank and between the statement and between uh, something I'm trying to look at and a status and I'm going back and I'm forth and I, yeah, but nothing important. I'm just uncomfortable. I can't look the world in the eye and stand free. <clears throat> but if I'm living a life of we stop, we stop causing harm. We stop the harm. We stop the shame. We stop the guilt. We pray before walking into our homes. I'm here to be of service. And we walk in with such a sense we belong. It's so freeing. Who needs to check that girl out? And when the feeling of, yeah, but she is hot. What am I supposed to do? She she is hot. The feeling is, but that's not who I am anymore. I don't want that life anymore. Even if the hygienist is hot, by the way. Hey, lazy. Even if she's hot, the hygienist, you know? Because that's what I think when somebody says they're going to the dentist. And that's okay because I'm a sexaholic. That's how I'm wired. But it's what I do with that thought that makes the difference. If I sit there now thinking what's the size of her breast as she leans over me, and is her hair blonde or not, and I play the video out, and maybe I could get everybody to leave the office, and maybe if I play the porn out, so then I got a problem. But if the fleeting thought comes up, that's why I am here. That I go through this all the time. Guys come over to me and I share, like I got triggered. And they're like, it's nice to see old timers took an action of lust also and being vulnerable. Excuse me, I didn't take an action of lust. When I do, that's a different story. But having that fleeting thought is not an action of lust. That's me simply recognizing my disease and saying, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that woman, please take it away. I don't want to have anything to do with it because I want to have everything to do with it. That's not taking an action lost. But imagine the guy that's walking through his house who checked out the neighbor who was on the phone, who was on the computer, did a few clicks, saw semi-nudity, then, then nudity, then not nudity, then covered the screen part of the nudity in order not to see the nudity and then took off his hand and this was his day at work and he did it for 10 minutes and 5 minutes and then he came home and then his kid is like, Dad, can we have a catch? No! A big one, a big no! Because I'm so uncomfortable. And my wife's saying, when are you going to be home? I don't want to be home. What do you mean when are you going to be home? And now for sure I can't have sex with you tonight. Or I really do need to have sex because now I'm so charged up, but I really shouldn't. But I'm going to tell my sponsor, my sponsor a half a story. I'm going to try to figure this out and then it'll feel like shit. Eventually, yeah, you're going to act out and lose your sobriety. I don't care if you're sober for three years, five years, ten years. But if we could stand free, look the world in the eye and stand free. Imagine, take a second, imagine if our parents, before walking into our homes, it's almost like make-believe. Let's go to La La Land right now, right? Welcome to Disney, okay? Your father, before walking into his home, or your mother, or both of them, stopped for a moment and said, God, take away my character defects, allow me to be of service for my kids tonight. La la la, la la la, la la In my home, it went something like this. Tati's coming home. <laughs> and here came the wave wind. You know, it took like the first half an hour for the family to settle. And then on other occasions, it was beautiful. It was taka. It was, it was like really enjoyable. My father came home. It was a lot of fun. Imagine if your kids were able to tell you, Ta, I think you should go to a meeting. <laughs> Imagine they had a voice. They were able to really tell you. Imagine you were able to have a conversation with them back and say, I can't, I have, I have business, I have to go to. So I'm sorry, I'm going to be a Looney Tune tonight because I have work that anyway doesn't work out and that anyway I'm convincing myself I'm going to make more money by meeting this guy and that guy and it's not happening anyway or it is happening, but I'm sorry, for the next three years I'm not going to be able to be a normal father with you because I have priorities in life really healthily set up. It's called financial stability that most of us never attain anyway. So I'm sorry, children. You're going to have to pay the raw price. And as a result of it, I'm going to give you, if you remember that week we did the, you know, the pens in the bucket. 
and, and therefore I'm going to take away your self-esteem, I'm going to take away your confidence because I'm going to shame you and belittle you and you're going to watch your father scream and go after money and live a life to be the next big who never becomes the next big and, 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 I'm, and I'm sorry children. And therefore you're going to become codependents and therefore you're going to end up marrying people that possibly are addicts. Because being enough around in the program you end up seeing the full cycle. And I'm sorry that I gave you a, a sucky life. And for the younger people in program, or even the people that are older who have already messed up the kids, this is the step that you can make amends. This is the step that you could turn the whole thing around. By simply in step eight, writing the people who we have harmed, and then walking over to them and simply really after sitting with a sponsor and owning and recognizing what you have done wrong and what's the problem and what's the, where are the character defects coming from and did it come from a place of rage and shame or guilt or what's going on and then being able to walk over to them and really apologizing. It was so healing and freeing. My nine-year-old Yehuda, you know, he was, <laughs> he came over to me one day and he's like, he's like, ta, can you sell your business? I said, why? What? I just love when you're home. If you sell your business, I could come home and we could just play all the time. On one hand, I was like, oh my God. It's like, it's like okay, how spiritual you are. You can't sit and play with a nine-year-old all day, exactly. But that feeling was so good. Such a good feeling. You know what that feeling is? That's the feeling that we cry and say with outstretched arms, please connect with me and make me whole. That's that feeling. It's the feeling that in therapy, my wife could tell the, the trauma therapist that I just love my husband to pieces and we're so close. There's obviously just a piece of trauma that's holding me back to get to the next level in the relationship. But there is no greater man on this world than him. I'm in awe of him. Isn't that what I'm looking for? As opposed to, no, but it was yuffle, no, but it was yuffle, which I did for years. <coughs> no, but you have to clean your house, but you don't understand. No, but my wife, da 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 This is the step that we could get to that next level. This is the step where we can open ourselves up for the grace of God. This is the step with the load of guilt. And then let me ask you, if you become this new person, don't you just naturally love yourself? Aren't you just happy with yourself? How should I feel good if I'm walking around programming like, my wife hates me, my wife doesn't want to have sex with me, my wife's not interested in me. And it doesn't mean in the process there aren't going to be moments of weaknesses. There have been those moments, and there have been those moments of like, screw the whole thing, and there have been those times where I can't take it anymore. But I'm on this path, and I'm not on this other path anymore. So I'll tell you, I've been sharing this throughout the last bunch of months in the program. I'll finish off with this, and then we'll open up the floor for you know, questions. Um, I have this um, struggling relationship with one of my family members for the past 10 months, and I've been sharing it and sharing it and sharing it. It got to a place where we haven't been speaking, haven't spoken to him in 10 months, and... Um, I've been calling and asking for guidance and cleaning my house and asking and praying for him, like the big book says, and praying and praying and praying. And until it got to a point that this relationship or the lack thereof and the pain that he's been causing and, 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 and brought me to a place of such humility that even, even being a sexaholic didn't bring me to it. And I'll explain. I could do all the work of the entire 12 steps in spirituality and take guidance and still can't get to have a relationship with that guy. That's how powerful you are, God. And that's how weak I am. And that's really your will. Your will is for me to just constantly work on myself and work on myself and work on myself. And it got to a place that I cracked, I broke from it in the sense of like, God, this is all you. No matter what, I, I don't know what to say. But I kept on opening up the channel. And it got to a point, God in his infinite wisdom, let's say the guy's name is Joe. I had two Joes on my phone and last week I by mistake dialed the Joe that I don't have a relationship with. And I meant to dial obviously the other Joe. And this Joe, 
for the first time after me sending him numerous messages, numerous phone calls, numerous I'm sorry's and apologizing and two minute messages of what could I do to make things right and I feel terrible and it's complicated and let's just own it. He sends me back a message, until you really learn how to make real amends, I don't wanna have anything to do with you. And, um, and, and that was basically the message. And I hung up the phone and did the rage come from my toes to my head of who the blankety blank, you piece of blankety blank, like, like with such waves, I haven't felt such emotion and feeling for a long time. So what did I do? I humbled myself. I realized that I need to regulate myself. I realized that I am hurting right now. And I went to my wife and I shared it with her. And um, after speaking to my wife, I realized I need to now just process it. And I called two sponsors. I called them both of them, my sponsors today. I called both of them and I asked them for direction. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And you know what's beautiful? They both gave me two opposite messages. <laughs> it never happened to me before, never. Two total different messages. One of them said, leave the guy basically on the side of the road. He's diseased, you're not getting to him, just leave him alone and live your life. The guy's nuts. The other guy gave a message of no. It's your job to push the envelope. Not in a sense of taking your will, but it's your job to keep the channel open and do the next right thing. And I don't believe the next right thing is for you to just say screw it, it's over. And you know something? I was in a worse place now, so what the hell do I do? And the beauty was I was able to take a breath and say I'm not doing anything. Just allow it to process over. And my keen thinking, obviously I took both of my sponsors and I put them up against each other to rile up the boat. And by slowing down, God in his infinite wisdom once again had this guy walk into my synagogue over this past Sabbath. There's just this feeling of me. I was walking down the hallway and he was coming this way and I turned around to the guy and I just said, hey, buddy, what is up? We haven't spoken in nine, ten months. Let's just talk a few minutes. Let's just talk. And yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 never mind. <laughs> I said, buddy, worst comes to worst, you talk to me and then call me again for another ten months. But let's, let's, let's at least like talk with me. And I really humbled myself and I asked him for that. And one thing led to the next. And we had an hour conversation and in the beginning was hell, absolute hell. But you know something? He told me things that I didn't know I did wrong. And if I would have kicked him to the side of the road and never had anything to do with him again, it would have been over. And I would have walked around knowing, without knowing, that I hurt the guy. And when I reprocessed what my sponsor told me, he never told me to kick the guy to the side. He told me not to let the guy hurt me anymore. But I have a tendency to be able to, to make things the way I need to fit my, my thing. To make a long story short, we spoke, and since then, we spoke twice. And we agreed to have a lukewarm, calm, thank you, appreciate that, nice, calm. <clears throat> Enjoy nice, calm, relaxed relationship. And you know something? I'm not as white as snow as I thought I was. Not even close. Not even remotely close. I have my side of the street. I'm a sexaholic. Which in definition means I don't know the difference between right and wrong, like it says in the preamble. So this was a very, very humbling experience. But what this experience told me, and this is what I want to share, that even when I'm convinced I'm 100% right, I'm not 100% right, especially with the wife, especially with family members, especially with the children, especially with myself. And if I'm willing to stay on the spiritual grounds and just take the message, no matter how hard it gets, if I'm willing to humble myself and own my side of the street and not live the life anymore of, you don't understand my wife and my situation and my parents and my finances and my religion and my God, blah, 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 but rather use the program, which is the total opposite of that, of just keep cleaning, just keep cleaning, keep peeling the onion. Miracles happen. And sometimes it takes 10 long, painful months. But the miracle happens if I stay at it and, um, 
And I'm really, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. So let's open up the floor for sharing. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, I mean, uh, let's let's do some questions and answers. Go. I have a question on the part. Don't follow the child because I'm going to start a business and not going to be successful. And my ideals and being a nasty father for three years. Um, that's part I want to ask them. Clarify that I'm in the program for a little less than two months while trying to start a business around the same time. Really not, not multitasking. <coughs> I want to hear your thoughts on priorities. I think I may have asked you this already, but. Okay, so great question. Great question, and I think the question is a priority question. I think it's, it's one of the, the fundamental parts of recovery that most people don't get, and I'm going to uh, um, maybe um, tickle some people's feelings and emotions over here. <clears throat> if you are a sexaholic, and if you have the disease that I have, which comes with a slew of character defects, shame, pain, misunderstanding, not knowing the difference between right and wrong. If you, if, if you have the, the, the anger and the disabilities that I have, and as a result of that, you walk into the, to the hospital and the doctor says that the reason you have a headache is not because you have a headache and take Tylenol, but it's because you need brain surgery because your brain is screwed up. And the brain surgery that you need is a process that's gonna take some time. <clears throat> and you need a lot of healing. And you turn around to the brain surgeon and say, yeah, but I got a business I gotta run. And I got a family, and I got a religion. And I got and I got and I got. Then you really have, a, you really, really have a messed up brain. When somebody walks into the doctor and the doctor says you have cancer, the rest of your life goes on hold. And our fellowship, unfortunately, we come in very young over here. We come in with an attitude of like, I'm still going to do everything. I got it. First, we deny that we're a sexaholic and we try to do it the easier way. The big book says never works. So we relapse. Then after we relapse, we switch sponsors because it was obviously the sponsor's fault. We get a new sponsor and then we find out that we relapsed again. And a lot of people go on this merry-go-round. And the reason they do, because they don't give 100% to program. They give about 60, some 80, some 90. Shal could have testified, the people that are sober in this program, who's been around for 10 years. I've taken this poll. The people that are sober and have happy homes have not done anything practically in the first year of sobriety. They spent their first year of sobriety on building back their homes that they destroyed, on winning back the love of their wife and their children. So what am I supposed to do? I'm not supposed to go to work? I'm not supposed to make a dollar? Discuss it with your sponsor in the detailed form. What does that mean? But even the people that continued their work, their head wasn't in the work. They have one priority in life, is how to keep that zipper closed. And that's it. How do I not lust? How do I not wreck my wife's world, my world, and my children's world? How do I not rage at home? How do I not shame and guilt? How do I not numb it out by buying the family presents or jewelry for the wife? How do I live a sober, insane life? I couldn't figure it out by just going to one or two meetings a week or three or four meetings a week and just talking to people randomly. I needed to put my entire life on hold and I've seen in this program that so did everybody else. And I got news for you. Most people need to do it more than a year. And even the people that are sober for a few years, if they're not in a happy marriage, but they don't have a happy family, gotta go back and do it. <clears throat> now a sponsor's not gonna say that because it's very overwhelming and very scary and I don't wanna lose my one or two sponsees that I have. Or they themselves never did it. Let's be real. I'm just telling you the truth. 
I've seen hundreds of people leave this program. I've seen hundreds of people that this program doesn't work. I sponsored people who stayed sober for the first bunch of years and then left. The common denominator on all of them is they didn't make program first and fun- fundamental. And then those people that did it for the first year, after year two and three, it's now time to build a business. And you know what happened? The whole program took a backseat. You know what happened with them? The marriage went like this, the sobriety went this, the recovery went downwards, 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 and then at one point they acted out, or at one point it, was, it wasn't worth it anymore because the character defects just came back up when I went, so my sponsor again and do the stupid step work that doesn't work anyway because I tried it three, four years ago, and they just burnt out of the whole program. And if I was saying this and I'm sober for six months or six years or three years is one thing. I don't have the experience. I've been around now for 13 years. I've watched so many people not get this into their heads. I have business, so that's why I come late to meetings, because I need to be up late at night. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. So your business comes before the program? Anything, anything that we put before program, we will lose, including program. Anything. And then, unfortunately, people say, I don't, I don't see the miracles in my life. And the miracles aren't your life because you come here just for a quick slice and you run. You're not in the fabric of program. You're not in the, in the, in the make it and the willingness to grow. I can't explain to you how sick we are here. I, 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 <laughs> that's, I think, our biggest sickness is the, the denial of how sick we are. The denial of how sick we are. So if you want to sit down and talk in detail what to do, you could. But take the risk. Talk to an old-timer. Don't talk to a guy who's a year or two here who he himself didn't do it. Talk to old-timers and ask them clearly what they did to get sexually sober. Now, if you found an easier way and it works, God bless you. I have it. My fundamental priority in, in the first year of recovery is being busy with recovery and only recovery all the time, recovery, 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 and I only change it based on the direction of my sponsor. And if worse comes to worse, I'm not a millionaire, or I don't own a home, or I don't make money, or I can't drive that fancy car, but I have a happy children, and I have a happy wife, there's no money in the world that could buy that. So why wouldn't you rather want that? Everybody who has all the money is busy with all the therapies and rehabs for all the kids and making weddings for $200,000 in order to cover up all the pain of their whole life. So why have the pain? Why cover it up? Just enjoy life. And trust me, your kids would rather not go to Florida and have a parents who don't scream and fight. There's nothing more painful for a child than watching parents fight. Nothing in the world. There's nothing more rewarding for children to watch the parents laugh their heads off. Like two weeks ago, my wife was laughing so loud in the bedroom, she woke up my 13-year-old daughter. I thanked my wife so much for that. It's a memory this kid will forever have. I woke up many nights my parents screaming and crying and fighting and door slamming. That wake up, you can't pay. And then my son, 16, come running down the step. What is so funny? What is so funny? What's going on? I go, I don't know. We're just laughing our heads off, having a great time. That is healing. So when that kid, that daughter's married and her husband is screaming at her, she knows there's something wrong because her parents weren't screaming at each other. Her parents were laughing. (laughs) So she doesn't sit there and take abuse for 10 years before going for help. She knows there's something wrong if a man screams. I have a sister, her husband is a rager, slams doors and everything. My wife walks into the house, she can't sit there, she can't stand it. And my sister walks here and <laughs> everything is great. She's used to it. Her father slammed doors and scraped, her husband does. It's just part of the domino effect. It's where we put our priority. And like my sponsor told me so many times, if after 120, I miss putting on my tefillin, I miss praying, I missed, um doing some rituals. I miss this and I miss that. But you know something? My wife could testify in the next world and my children and you guys that I gave my will and my life to the care of God every single day. I could practically cry. And I lived a life where I tried to work on my lust. And I made living amends to my wife in the highest level. And I was willing to ask God for guidance. 
and is willing to humble myself in front of rabbis as well. And I, I live the life of humility where my wife feels safe and secure. If God wants to punish me for the, <laughs> for the not putting on my Teflons, <laughs> I don't think he's God. And if he is, so, so be it. <laughs> worst comes to worst, I enjoyed 120 years in this world. And that's the life I want to live today. And that's the life I want to give to my children. So money is not priority. Religion is not priority. Priority is spirituality. And as a result of that spirituality, I get to give my wife and my children and myself the life that I never dreamt. Ever. Ever. But that takes work. That takes humility. That takes work. That takes showing up. That takes killing myself. From the inside out, like laser shared. I went through the Holocaust the last two years. Yeah, but look where he's holding. And look where some other people are holding that are here for two years. I never met a guy in this fellowship. I'm here. I've met with hundreds of couples. Individually. At least a hundred, I should say. I never met a woman that's not the correct woman for the, wife, for the husband. I never met the, a husband that's not correct for the wife. Ever. But when we're diseased, of course we married the wrong girl. And of course, because she didn't want to give me sex the way I saw in pornography, it's obviously screwed up. So we could either live our life way above, way above the norm of this world, or we could really live our life way below. And it's a choice. It's a choice of showing up here daily. It's a choice of giving our will over to the care of God. And taking this dreadful load of shame and guilt of the people that we have harmed and finally making amends. I wrote up a list of the things I've done wrong to my wife. It was a painful list and I sat down and I cried through it and I told her the harms that I've done. And that's what we all could do. This is very passionate for me if you don't know that by now. Sorry for going a little bit over like I usually do. Um, we could either continue the meeting for five minutes. I know there's a few more questions, or we could end it. Let's just take a quick group conscience. All in favor of ending the meeting now, please raise your hand. All in favor for continuing the meeting. So let's just continue for five minutes. Any questions? Um, <coughs> resentful at them and like we're, it's so distant and so like I'm one, of, <coughs> I'm one of 14 and there's not really much like interaction between all of us. <coughs> it, it makes sense that time goes by like I used to talk to them once a year but I never held any resentments towards them or we as brothers we would get together twice a year and just go do something fun and at this point I just like I, I feel a certain animosity and resentment towards them I know there's something possibly that's holding them back from calling me. Like, I'm not always supposed to be the one that initiates. Right. Um, so basically, like, tell me if I got the question. The question is, you're part of a large family, a lot of brothers. Thank God one of them is here, but um, the rest of them are not as of yet. You said thank God. I said thank God. <laughs> and now you have another brother that doesn't talk to you. And um, <clears throat> the question is... Um, yeah, the brothers that are not in program you don't have a relationship with uh, much and like what could you do what's your part right or do you have a part or maybe it's their part or so on and so forth so since I know a little bit of your story um, where you're holding right now put in all your energy on your relationship with your wife not your brothers it was what I had to make amends for, to my wife for is like I destroyed her and I'm busy with my relationship with my father she's like hey you know, last time, remember, you're married to me. You know what I mean? Don't, that's, that's, that's not what you should put in your efforts today. It's a painful piece of your life. And when the pain comes up, you say, God, please heal my relationship between me and my brothers. As you wish it to be. And when I'm ready, things will change when he's ready. But right now, all efforts, again, it's the same th- idea. 
We, we don't work on our business, our religion, our this, our that. We work on program and everything will blossom out of there. So it's that same idea. Don't put in all your efforts on your brother. Put it in on your wife and children and yourself. Yeah? I know. Anybody that was here from the beginning that have a question? Okay, go. Um, I want to know how, <clears throat> as far as commitment to showing up to meetings, right? Um, I have, oh, sorry. Sexaholic. Um, I wanted to know, um, as far as, like, lately, just a lot of work and business and things going on, and I realized that I started off very well and then had a downfall, just too much business, less sobriety, less program. And uh, the question is, what commitment should I make for myself? Great question. So somebody who's busy, somebody who's... Somebody who's busy in work, somebody who's busy in life, whatever you're busy with, and then you have program like, what is the balance and, and what commitment should I make? Um, I guess I know you also a little bit. <laughs> um, I think you need to get completely off of the path that you're on and start a whole new path. If you're on the wrong path and you make commitments, so it's like you're... You came to the gym with a football and every once in a while you're picking up a basketball. So when you pick up the basketball, you're going to play basketball. But most of the time you're walking around with footballs. So when you have the basketball during those small periods, you're going to enjoy yourself and life will be good. But you, you brought the football. That's the problem. problem is getting off of, of this path and getting onto a new path. And for me, the way I did that was picked one guy, not the guy you think you need to pick and need to figure out, but a different guy. That guy could be anybody but yourself and say, run my life for me, A to Z. I promise you, if you do that in 12 months from now, you will, there's no money in the world and there's no feeling in the world that you'll feel. You need a humble. It's hard because you've been screwed in life many, many times. And how should I trust somebody? And I got that. I had that same feeling. I picked a guy. I followed his direction. And God help my soul. I listened to everything he says. Even if I don't want to. And even if I think he doesn't understand and he doesn't get it and blah, 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 blah. I listened and listened. And fast forward a year, I turned around and it's like, wow, I don't even have so many questions. And life is so much better. And, and my business, I just drove myself crazy. And I'm not making more money by going that way or that way. And, and you're just happier. You need to give your will and your life over to the care of God. And the way to do that is by, hire, by having a sponsor, somebody who could direct your life for you. That's what I strongly recommend. Okay, thank you for letting me share. We have a celebrant, two celebrants. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.